You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communication, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and family guy. Today on our show, we have Dr. Norm O'Reilly, Dean of the Graduate School of Business at the University of Maine and partner of the T1 Agency. Norm leads the university's graduate business programs, including its nationally ranked MBA and is recognized as one of the leading scholars in the business of sports. During his time at T1, Norm has worked with clients including Nike, UFC, Pepsi, Canadian Olympic Committee, and many others. Dr. O'Reilly holds a PhD in management from the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University, an MBA from the Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa, a MA in Sports Administration from the University of Ottawa, and a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology from the University of Waterloo. He is a published author with his latest book release, Business the NHL Way, Learning from the Fastest Game on Ice, published by University of Toronto Press. He has also completed nine Ironman triathlons, 11 marathons, and more than 400 triathlons total. I mean, this guy's an animal. And he will be presenting the 16th annual Canadian Sponsorship Landscape Study, Etude Industrielle des Commandies du Canada, on November 23rd at Sponsorship X in Montreal. Dr. Norm O'Reilly, welcome. Thanks, Ted, for having me. Great introduction. Thanks, buddy. Well, it's a very impressive CV there, buddy. Like, you're very studied, you're well-written, and you're also a sports guy. So you got the brains and the brawn, right? That's the idea? Oh, yeah, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, I guess that's good. I'll take that. Yeah, thank you. So you're in Maine right now, is that right? Yeah, I live in a place called Cape Elizabeth. So into our second year here, it's been a neat opportunity. So if you drove from Montreal about four and a half hours straight south, you'd hit the ocean in the city of Portland, Maine, which is like a mini San Francisco. And then there's a little town down below, just outside of Portland that sticks out into the ocean called Cape Elizabeth. It's an amazing place to live. And your dollar goes a lot further than in the GTA where I was most recently. So it's been a pretty nice move for my family. A lot of lobster rolls and New England Patriots games. Is that what I'm hearing? A lot of lobster rolls. Now, if you're worried about your budget, they are not a good thing to buy too often because they are not inexpensive, but they are fabulous. And then, yes, there are a lot of Patriots fans. You'd say they have a lot of anxiety now. And a lot of them are closet Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans for their old friend Ooh, Tom Brady. You can't mm-hmm. say that. Good thing this is being played mostly in Canada because like, that'd be heresy in New Although the fact that Giselle may have left them, I don't know how much you believe that. I think that has made people feel a little bit better about their Patriots again. So well, hey, I'm a Pats fan. I try not to advertise it too, too loudly. But I think those that listen to this show often probably know that I got my Mac Jones jersey on some days. And so happy to do that. So... Maybe let's get started with just kind of your origin story. It sounds like you've done a lot. You're kind of a renaissance man, man of many talents. Tell us a little bit about who Dr. Norm is. Yeah, thank you. It's neat to get to do that. So I'm from Lindsay, Ontario. So people may know Lindsay is about an hour and a half northeast of Toronto. Grew up, it was kind of a farming town with some industry. That's all gone now. It's basically a retirement community. And so probably half the town, is, including my parents, were still there. And a lot of family are over 65 and close to Toronto. It's gone through this boom. That's where I'm from. I lived there on and off till I was about 20. I went to Waterloo, as you said, did a lot of studying. 
Well, I was an athlete, so I was a two-sport university athlete as well. I did the swimming and cross-country skiing, and we won an Ontario championship when I was at University of Waterloo in skiing, OUA at the time, and I was an academic All-Canadian a couple of times in swimming at the University of Ottawa. So that's kind of my upbringing. And then, as you mentioned, I've been a triathlete for a long time, kind of fell in love with that sport when I was like 14 and have done it on and off. I play hockey, I play basketball. That's my love. And then the great thing about my path was I didn't really know what I was doing, didn't have a lot of guidance, but I went to Waterloo to be a better athlete, really. I got a chance to compete, but also to kin and to learn about my body and learned along the way that's not what I want to do with my career, but not interesting things. And my third year there, I got a chance to work at Triathlon Canada, very serendipitous, did an interview for a paper I was doing with the president who was in Mississauga. And he thought I whatever impressed him and he offered me a summer job right after the interview. So that's what got my career going, which was great. I'd done a part-time job as an assistant ice maker at the Lindsay Curling Club, but that probably wasn't the big move. That was great. And then I pivoted, changed my whole plan. And I did an MBA and a master's degree. I worked for the Toronto Olympic bid, did a lot of work in different consulting things, some biotech for a while, picked away at my PhD, not to be an academic, but to work in industry. But then I got a chance to teach at Ottawa U and then a full-time job at Laurentian. And I've just absolutely loved it because it's kind of this platform where you can do other things. And then I've been super lucky that the field of sport management and academia has just gone on like this. And so I've been headhunted and had opportunities and got to go to the U.S. And I've been at like Stanford and Ohio and now Maine, Syracuse and in Canada and Guelph. So I like to say it's not that I can't keep a job. I just keep getting these fantastic opportunities. I've been very, very lucky in my academic life. If that gives you a bit of a piece and write a lot of books and a lot of study, I do a lot of expert witness work consulting, work with teams and clubs. It's really been amazing to work in what you're passionate about. So That's fantastic. But then how did you get involved in the whole marketing space? You're with T1 and you've done some work there and we were listing off companies like the UFC and Nike and you know the Canadian Olympic Committee. So how does one that is so immersed in academia, like you are, still have a bit of a career in the marketing side? One thing I should say, even though my PhD is called a PhD in management, my specialization was in marketing. So I was a trained marketer. My MBA was in marketing, as you mentioned. So I got early on and then worked for a while. And I learned very on in the business school or the sport management world, it's very important to be engaged with industry. And so like a lot, I did you know, some consulting and projects along the way. And after I got into academia, and I was you know 30 when I kind of got in there, so I'd worked for a while to keep it up. And I was actually, so, you know, you've had Mark Harrison on before, the founder of then Trojan One, now the T1 agency. I was actually working for Sport Canada. I forgot that in my little intro, but before I got into academia, I worked for the government for three years for Sport Canada. And I was working on the Canadian sport policy and I was speaking at a conference in Toronto. This is probably 2001. And I was talking about some different background stuff. And this guy from the crowd, you know him, he was asking some pretty serious questions. We went back and forth and had a little debate. And afterwards, I went over and talked to him. And we formed this great, not just you know partnership, but great colleagues and friends. And at the time, I was working my PhD. He was very supportive of my PhD. And he said, well, you know, when you're done that, if you want, he was looking to grow his business. He was very small at the time, had a couple of employees just getting going. And so we kind of had this unwritten agreement that when it came time to come, I could be part of it. And of course, that time came a few years later, wrote him a, a check and bought a little bit of the company. And it's been amazing for 15 years. I bet you at least 50 former students have worked there. It's been amazing for me to stay involved and engaged in business schools. 
may or may not be a surprise to you, but our accreditations, the top ones, require professors to be engaged with industry. So unlike a lot of fields, that's why I love this job, they want us to be out there. They want you doing it. It's way better for your students. It's way better for your knowledge. And so my research, if you ever look at a lot of those things, is very close to reality and has been very helpful to me and the consulting work and all those different things that we've done. So it's actually been perfect. And it's now, that's over 15 years that I've been uh, been working with Mark and T1. It's been amazing. It's amazing. That's a great story. I think the fact that he got a partner out of it who's also feeding him talent. I mean, that's the best of both worlds. And then on top of that, you give him a bunch of expertise. That's a lot of value right there. And it goes both ways. He's a very good, as you know. So yeah, it's been a wonderful wonderful thing. And yeah, I can't complain for a second. It's been great. And then, you know, as the world has shifted, I mean, agencies, the great thing I like about it, universities are slow, bureaucratic. Agencies are fast. You know this better than anybody. Fast and nimble and on top of things. And they feel the brunt when things hurt, like COVID, for instance, but they're also right on the edge when things boom, whether it's a digital economy or the first groups to get to work in esports, an area where I did write a book in and done a couple little projects. Well, the agencies are way ahead of everybody else because they know it's coming, right? You know that better than anybody. So yeah, it's been really fun. And I think having that duality, if you will, has been a real treasure. Well, you just touched upon esports and you know the field of sponsorship marketing definitely esports is now this new landscape do you have any insights that you want to share because i mean i had my agency 20 years and i've had many folks come and go in my agency and i had somebody recently maybe last year they were our ux ui person and they decided to live the dream and go into esport and work for an esports agency which is the first time I've had someone leave my field and go somewhere else. So any insights there, how that impacts sponsorship dollars and sponsorship marketing? Yeah, I mean, it's a good sign, obviously, that there are now agencies specializing in esports for the field. So the book we wrote, you would not be that interested in it. The target market is professors and researchers. But we looked at what's gone on, what's, what's been written about esports, what's happening. So it's now like a little bit dated, but we've stayed on top of it. And the big perplexing thing that I think for those of us and like you, I've been studying sponsorship for a long time, is that it just hasn't flowed to esports like a lot of us thought it would. Esports have done very well with the crowdsourcing, you know, to pay the athletes, the social media rev gen makes regular sport jealous. Like it's been amazing, right? But in sponsorship, it's really hard. And you know this, it's just how do you activate? So mm-hmm, you get mm-hmm. this guy, Ninja, whoever sitting on there, and there's all these people watching and, you know, but then like what you put your Mountain Dew fridge behind you, or you've got your boss headphones, or maybe you have a chocolate bar. Well, they're getting a couple of bucks and some free product, but it's really hard for like a truck company or a tech company or a biopharma to think, okay, how do I activate this beyond the celebrity investment, which is the same in any kind of area. I think that's the struggle. And then in the esport arenas, you know, which gets your arenas, your concessions that you would see in other sports, but it's a very, you know, focused on that group. So it's really challenging for those groups to activate. So we've seen the sponsorship levels and the others are studying this too, are well below kind of ratio to the size that you'd see in something like football or something like the Olympics. And so that's been the challenge. And for me, it's really about how do you find a way, and this is for digital everywhere, how do you find ways to really allow those brands that are not endemic to the sport or the property to really do cool things, right? And so that's, to me, the big challenge. You may have seen some answers, but that's one of the real nuts that I think they need to crack if they want to get their sponsorship to really come up. Well, I always wonder, you know, brands that have really kicked it up a notch, the brand that I'm thinking of is Red Bull. 
right? Red Bull is an energy drink, yet they're in every extreme sports. They have an F1 team that actually just won the Constructors' Championship for the first time in some years. And it just boggles my mind how a drink, an energy drink, can have so much presence. Red Bull TV and all these other things, motorsports. How does that happen? Is there a formula for that? Well, I think they have their own formula and they're brilliant. So we had this, you remember this. So when we, like all these studies, we've done like the landscape study and others do it in other countries. This whole notion of the owned property, you know, came along, you know, seven or eight years ago. That's what you need to do, right? And trying to find some space of the Toronto Maple Leafs and like they give you like, you can't meet a player, you can't do this. And so the brands got frustrated and said, well, how do we create our own thing like a hockey day in Canada? Well, Red Bull read that clearly and they got very smart people. And they said, well, we're getting out of rights fees and we're going to own our own events. So whether it was flying planes through skyscrapers in San Francisco or your examples or others jumping out of you know spaceships and these kind of things, but they owned it. So they said, well, we're going to only go places where we can do whatever the heck we want. So we can position our product exactly how we want it. So you don't see it behind the esports athlete, right? Because they're like, that's their control. We don't want that. They'll have their own team. They'll have their own league. They'll have their own event. And they have the money to do it and the right product to do it. And obviously, they've done really, really well. And it's a cool brand. But that's what we've seen with them. And I think they're the classic example of the value of an owned property. Think about Canada, like Kraft Hockeyville. Great example. My favorite one. It's won international marketing awards. In fact, the number one activation a couple of times. And its metrics are off the charts. We've written about it. It's an owned property. You don't have to worry about a lot of those barriers. Now, in what's happened since then, well, a lot have seen this and a lot of properties like NHL clubs, for instance, have gotten a lot more creative and open and they're not just about rink boards and buying space anymore. They're creating. So it's helped the whole industry evolve. So those innovators like a Red Bull help us all in sponsorship and maybe some of those things esports can learn a little bit from as it goes forward and tries to drive its sponsorship revenues to match its other sources. Okay, well, let's talk about this study, the 16th Annual Canadian Sponsorship Landscape Study. You're going to present that November 23rd at Sponsorship X in Montreal. So what's the study about and why do it at Sponsorship X and the other place that you're going to be placing at? So talk about the study first. Yeah, we presented to the ACA Canada, SMCC, Sponsorship Marketing Council of Canada, a number of associations love it. And why do you do it? Let me start there. Like every year you kind of look in the mirror and say, why do we do this? Because there's no big money attached to it. It's an industry leading thing that's shared freely with everyone. It's not a syndicated study. So back to our friend Mark Harrison, who we talked a bit about earlier. So the very first time he ran this conference was before I was even working with him was 2005 at the Canadian Sponsorship Forum, it was called then. Now it's Sponsorship X in Vancouver at the Grey Cup. Fantastic, wonderful. I was speaking on a sponsorship evaluation topic. A lot of people came. And one of the feedbacks from the delegates, people like yourself, was, hey, you know, this is great. We had this IEG. You probably heard that name. Their data is all over the place. Lovely, all US data, France data. So can there be some Canadian data? So he talked to myself and another professor at the University of Ottawa at the time, Benoit Seguin, and we kind of came up with this sponsorship, Canadian sponsorship landscape study. And it was, I was at Laurentian University at the time. We had students make thousands of phone calls. This is pre-internet survey, if you can believe it. And the study kind of took that. off. Yeah. And then, so the idea was it's presented every year. Oh yeah. Think of that. It was a summer job for a bunch of sport management students at Laurentian 
spend calling all summer to try to get these responses. And then over time, it's gone online, English and French. And we've had as many as 500. And it's B2B survey. So it's organizations respond, brands, properties, and agencies, not individuals. So very different than other studies that are out there. Very hard, as you know, to collect data. And so that's the special kind of view of it. It's not perfect data, but it's enough to make decisions on. It's become, and every year, we look at the sponsorshiplandscape.ca website, and there's 1,500, 1,200, 1,100 downloads of a 100-page industry report that's not really of interest to anybody. So, it's, hey, the industry is using it. We hear about it all the time. People use it in their pitches, using it in their benchmarks. Got some wonderful data now that it's, we have 15 coming up to 16 years of data. We're telling the COVID story right now, which is awful, as you know, for sponsorship. But next year, we'll be able to tell the coming out of COVID story. I mentioned earlier, you brought this up, the pro sport how they've really improved, more sophisticated. We've got data that shows that. Their proportion of the Canadian pie skyrocketed in 2014. We called it the pro sport renaissance. We coined this term that the globe picked up called festivalization in about 2010 when we saw sponsorship dollars in Canada go from a few percentage points to like 30 in festivals because brands learned that's a great place to reach people. So it's really set some tones and there's a couple terms that are now used in the industry that go back to the study. So it's been wonderful. This number of co-authors have come and gone along the years, but I'm the one old guy that continues to be part of it. So it's a bit of a labor of love. And the fact that it gets used makes us very happy. And the Sponsor Marketing Council can, as I mentioned, the Association of Canadian Advertisers, they're on side. They share it every year. They help us collect data. It's all anonymous. There's nothing secret about it. And it's been great. It's been great. Okay, so I want you to give us a little sampler, a teaser of what we might hear in your presentation at Sponsorship X in Montreal on November 23rd. So what do you got? Well, I would tell you, first of all, as a good researcher, the data doesn't close till November 1st. So I really have no idea because we haven't looked at the data yet. And it's a data-driven study. I can tell you what I think we're going to see. So if you go to, you can go to sponsorshiplandscape.ca and download the results going back 15 years. The sponsorship story in Canada was a wonderful one right from the beginning. So the first year we have data is 06 all the way through. Even you think of the crash, like the real challenging times, 8, 9, 10, marketing budgets in the country went down, people were struggling. Sponsorship continued to grow. People were, it works, it works in those contexts. It wasn't until last year, which is based on the 2020 data, that we saw, wow, so more than a billion dollars plus or minus with our estimates, came out of the sponsorship rights fees in Canada, and more than half a billion dollars came out of activations. I mean, you're in that world. It just hurt. Some agencies disappeared. Some small teams really struggled. The government really helped a lot of these places keep going, and it was a huge challenge. What we're seeing now, and this is more anecdotal, and you probably have as good of a buy, probably better than I do, has been this massive turnaround. And so we're going to get the start of it in the 2021 kind of data. So I think we're going to see a very positive return. What I'm very interested in, and I have no idea what, when we dig into like, what are people doing? What are the trends? It's been very common, like, you know, measuring the value of assets and how do we do things and own property, some of these things we talk about. But the whole world has shifted. And back to our discussion on esports. I'm really hoping that the respondents are going to tell us what some of the things they're doing to embrace this hybrid digital world that we're now in and start telling that story. Because a lot of these properties, as you know, they're not going back. And so they went online and now they've got a mixed thing. How do you keep that presence and provide value to brands when it's a screen that's sharing it and not some kind of live event experience? So that's what I'm excited about. But really, I haven't dug in yet. So what happens is it closes 
And then it's a frantic late nights for a while as you do all the analysis and we'll present it then. But I'm expecting a better story after a horrible one last year. And then really with some indicators, hopefully from our industry experts of what to look for, what to be ready for, what to prepare for as we come out of COVID. And I think looking for another boom period for sponsorship in Canada. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. Don't forget to pack the five-hour energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With your study, have you been able to identify things that are fads versus things that are here to stay? You know, you talked about the digitization, pull forward. We're not really going back. We're going to do at least some kind of hybrid thing. And we were talking earlier about the Patriots. And again, fan, they had uh, on the Monday night game, you know, I don't know if you watched it, this AR activation for Gillette. Because it's Gillette Stadium. So before Monday night started, this huge AR thing. They have this huge razor come down on the center field. Then it was a little much for me. But, uh, you know, you got the message across. Okay, there's the razor. It's Gillette. Okay, great. Gillette Stadium. Do you think AR is here to stay? Do you think it's a fad in your data? Is it telling you if things are going well or, or not? Because even with the world of AR and metaverse and, you know, Web3, I mean, Facebook is putting all this money in. Zuckerberg's trying to put all this money in, and I don't think investors are really liking it. So I don't know. What's your take on what's a fad and what's not a fad? We didn't set this question up, but it's almost perfect for the study because you have 15 years of data. We go back to like when social media was launched. And so what you see in the activation dog, really interesting when we started adding that to the list of what do you do? Do you do advertising, do promotions, do athletes, do celebrities, there's a whole list of things. We added in social media and there was this little bump and then it went back down to be a very modest piece. Then we added in like esports, we added in digital marketing and things like that as they've come. Now AR is new, so we're just going to start to get that data. But what tends to happen is a little bump, and then the brands and everyone in the agencies realize it's another channel. So yes, 
you're investing in those pieces because you have to have that channel, but you're not plowing resources into a play in an AR world or a virtual world or, you know, and pulling everything out of what was formerly an in-person or an experiential world. You're now looking at your promotional mix and you're allocating accordingly. Another great example from the study is the cause category. This comes up in almost every presentation when I, because we show the history of cause. And so there's like there's sport and there's festivals and music and, you know, all the different categories. And so cause was always high and then has dropped off to be almost nothing. And people are like, oh, that can't be right. Causes are so important. So we dug into that a couple of years. We do deep dives into every year into different topics. And what essentially has happened is people have said, well, cause is no longer a category it's an essential part of every sponsorship. So this is the brilliance of the study now is you've got a decade and a half of data. So you can see these trends. So I don't know the answer to your question on air, but my expectation would be you'll see a little bit of a bump in people putting money towards it or testing it out. And then it will become another channel, maybe vital, but it will be part of your overall sponsorship package. Just like we've added social and digital and web and all these things, but other pieces haven't necessarily disappeared as we kind of go forward. That's a really interesting one. A couple more that popped into mind, if you don't mind, on that historical would be the notion of exclusivity. This exclusivity is dead. People talk about, well, the study results show the exact opposite. In fact, brands rated as more and more important just that their lens has changed. And you mentioned auto racing before, because it's just sponsorship soup. It is at a big level, but if you know the sport, people are attached to the driver. Exclusivity is awfully clear when you're linked to a certain driver. And so we've actually seen the value of exclusivity rise, just the framing of it has shifted. So a lot of people, it doesn't matter anymore, but you can be darn sure when Coke is invested in something, they don't want Pepsi, when Heineken, Guinness, whatever you down the list you go. And so that's been a really interesting one. So we see these trends that are fun. The last one I was going to mention was property reinvestment. You'd appreciate this very much. So this is, and we talked about this as academics for a long time. And as agency, I'm sure you said, told the same thing to your clients. Hey, if you're a property and you want to keep them, put some of the money you're getting back to make sure they're happy, right? Pretty simple. But no, no, that's kind of for our budget. My financial officer already took that. We spent it on our athletes or whatever we're doing. So that notion came out all the time. Well, finally, people started to listen or started to work. And we saw basically zero. COVID kind of blew it up. But the two years before COVID, 10 and 11%. So Canadian sponsors were properties were telling us they were taking 10 and then 11% of the revenues they got and putting it back into helping activate the sponsorship. And so that was really interesting. So that's, again, the value of the brand. Now, will that one disappear? Will that be a little blip? I don't think so. But that's the value of the longitudinal. That was a very long answer to your question, but it was a great question. And the study is brilliant with those kind of things because you get that long-term piece, right? That's super cool. I have a lot of clients that are coming to me these days talking about ESG right? Environmental, social governance. And a lot of the big brands are the ones that are targeted when it comes to stakeholder engagement and investors and whatnot. Do you see any kind of message change with these sponsors, these brands that are activating that they're actually communicating with an ESG lens at all? Or is it simply, we're Red Bull, super awesome energy, we're Nike, you know, check out our shoes. Like, I'm assuming there's a little bit, obviously I'm being a little contrite here, but do you see any pivot in that messaging to discuss ESG to a broader audience while they're doing activation at all? So there's two things. So the one thing the study has told us, as I mentioned this one before, is that decline of the cause. So whatever the cause is, it's now inherent. So if that's what you've picked, 
You know, but what we've really learned, we're starting to see a bit, and we asked a bit of this last year, any of these kind of big movements. So ESG is one, we think about Black Lives Matter around 2020. You think about the COVID, you know, vaccines or protection or distancing and all these things. So any brands, and you've seen these, any brands that did it in a non-authentic way got roasted and lost customers and da, 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 very poorly. And those that did it well. So what I've seen in that, and I think we're going to see it eventually in the results, it's just more anecdotal, is there's a risk aversion unless you're authentic. So as you said, Red Bull, let's just stick to things we know. So we want to sponsor an airplane flying through buildings or an astronaut jumping out of something. And we're not going to say we're carbon neutral. We're staying away from that. But if someone authentically can do that, so if an airline, like United Airlines has gotten into this, if they really are actually doing because someone's going to look very, very closely, then they play it up as part of their activation platform. And for those target markets that really care, it can make a difference. And so I think that's what we're kind of seeing is if it's part of it, then they're not expressly doing it. That's the cause they've picked. Because there's got to be a cause. You know this as part of it. It's got to be something. And then if you can't do it in an authentic way, you just stay away from it. Yeah, that's really good advice. So then Sponsorship X, Montreal. Tell us a little bit about it. What's going on there? So it's it's so exciting because this is a conference that I've been to every one except one because that's when I got married in 2007. It's amazing. And so then obviously COVID really knocked it back and it was digital and it's just kind of getting going. I think we're all feeling out what's the interest in in in-person conferences. Some have come back with a boom. Others are challenging. Some people are still not comfortable in those environments. But I personally am very, very excited about it. The Canadian sponsorship community, as you know, is relatively small, but this is one that they always come to and really support. And you get a nice mix of brands, properties, and agencies. And it's one of those ones that, I mean, I love. There's great content, but it's a lot of fun. You met Mark. It's his baby. And he wants it to be a great experience for everybody, which is a sponsorship lens. I mean, I go to a lot of academic conferences. I'm an academic. I've probably been to 500 conferences in my life of different sorts and sizes. And most of them are like lunch on your own, you know, afternoon to look at the city, evening on your own. That's not the focus of Mr. Harrison, right? It's you come there, you don't know anybody. You'll have a great experience. You'll meet people. It'll be fun. And that's what I, if you want to, that's what I love about it. It's really, really a great conference. I'm very excited to be there. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I got an opportunity to go to Sponsorship X in Whistler in August during the Crankworks Festival. And it was, I mean, a ton of fun. You're right. You know, I've had my agency 20 years. I've had my fair share of conferences and it's always a boardroom and a darkly lit area. There's a buffet, some name tags, and that's basically it. If you're lucky, there may be a performance, right? That's basically it. And so for me to, you know, go on the peak to peak summit on a gondola and have a speaker, you know, talk to me while I'm in the gondola was amazing. And then just having backstage access to the Red Bull VIP party and stuff like that. I'm like, what is, is this a party or am I... I think the, a little bit of the negative, if there is one for that, is that, you know, you have some late nights, you know, having a lot of fun meeting new people. And then, oh, I got to do some learning now at, at early know, mornings, in the morning, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and so early mornings, but it was a ton of fun. I hope, uh, you know, you guys have a good turnout in Montreal. So it should be good. I'm glad you got to go to Whistler too. I went to the Whistler one a few years ago and that was really cool environment with the, uh, the gondolas. I thought that was great. It was great. So let me ask you about what you're most excited about, you know, the future of sponsorship marketing, future of sports marketing. What's the one thing that you're like, wow, I'm really looking forward to the evolution of X. What is that? 
It's a big question and a great one. I've probably got 10 answers for you, but there's some things we're obviously very concerned about in the sport industry, but let's just start with coming out of COVID. It's good. And I just wrote this book. We have this book that the NHL's endorsed. We're all over the place. It's been great. We did a book launch with Jeff O'Neill in Toronto on Sunday. We're doing one with the NHL store in Batman in New York and all these fun things. And, and the story is good. Like, I mean, there, and COVID was a bit of a hit back, but the NHL has gone from a couple hundred million dollar enterprise 30 years ago to pushing six billion this year and growing. And so I get excited about things like, well, what about a European division in the NHL or someone else is going to jump on it? People said they would never survive in Vegas. Now the NFL and the NBA and MLB are all going to follow them there, right? And so there's all these cool things happening there. Now, minor sport is struggling a little bit, but pro sport continues to boom you look what the NFL is doing. The Olympics, I may have been to the Olympics five times with the Canadian team and twice, including deputy chef with the Canadian Paralympic team. It's kind of had a little bit of a bump, but look at the upcoming agenda, right? Paris, Los Angeles. I mean, it's going to be just fantastic. You know, Vancouver may be back in the mix for 2030, which would be incredible. And then looking at a whole new, back to your uh, kind of the environmental side of it, the whole new focus of the games is to be carbon neutral, at least try to be, and not build all these new venues and all these kind of things. So I'm excited about that. And I hate to talk about challenges, but I have a lot of concerns. Maybe that's being an academic, but I mean, we're very concerned about, I'm involved with participation and a lot of research on the health of Canadians. COVID was a huge disaster. I mean, we're not even thinking about physical health yet and physical activity, but wow, did it knock us back. A bit and people have survived. Some people have gone really active, but it's really hurt. And you know, every year, less and less kids are doing stuff. There's pressures on the school system. As older Canadians, you know, obesity and overweight is growing, all these kind of things. So there's some stuff there. So what's the exciting? What do you is finding new and amazing and digital ways to kind of get people more active. And COVID helped us identify a few of those, but a lot of them were linked to short-term kind of depression and stuff. But how do we flip that around of really cool ways to have people engage with esports, but not sitting in a chair and having a Red Bull and a chocolate bar, but actually participating in it. And this is where, you know, the alternate reality stuff gets you really excited. Like, is there a way to keep people more active and keep people healthier and digital is the way they're living. And so I don't know how that's going to go, but I'm excited about where companies and agencies like yourself can lead that piece. So there's a lot of positives, I think, in the global stuff, really exciting. A lot of positives in big pro sport, a lot of challenges in minor sport and amateur sport. We really want to try to invigorate. And then if I could talk quickly about sponsorship, I mean, sponsorship, I've been involved in it like you for a long time. And it's continued to show us resiliency. And if done right, and people are slow to learn, but we're getting there. If done right, activated properly, avoiding risks, being authentic, all those things you know, you know well and we could all list off, it is brilliantly successful and more efficient in a lot of cases than advertising, publicity, PR, the other things you'd pick in your promotional mix. So we've seen in Canada that number creep up to be one in four for those Canadian brands who sponsor one in four dollars in their marketing communication budgets in non-COVID years are going towards sponsorship. So we know it works. It's just getting people to realize it works well. And then the nice thing about it is it impacts not just global. Like sponsorship dollars in Canada, 40% are local. So people use it to reach local clubs or local theaters or local parks, not just the Leafs and the Habs and the Canadian Olympic Committee. So I went on there again a long time, but there's a lot of pieces in there that I think are very exciting as we go forward in probably the most challenging economic times we've faced since after World War II. It is nuts out there right now. 
Yeah, it is a little bit challenging. I was just coming out of a meeting with the Business Council of British Columbia, and they were talking about the economic impacts and all that kind of stuff. And while we had a bit of a boom, it was artificially buoyant because of all the influx of capital coming in from the governments all over the place. And so, yeah, but I think it was interesting that you're talking about how getting people more involved, even if it's virtual, right, and how we can do that. And I think we... You know, I've chatted in the past, we had a guest who was from Peloton and where people would actually hop on their Peloton and be like, I'm racing somebody today. Like I've, I've been racing for however many days and I'm at the top of the table and I want to stay there. Or maybe I'm number two or number three and I really want to beat that guy in New Hampshire or that person in Columbus, Ohio or something like that. And so it's interesting and I'd be interested in seeing how brands take this new opportunity because I see that in, in the past, there's a lot of people that want to be in person, but there's still a lot of wariness. I was talking to somebody out of San Francisco and there she was like, oh, Elton John toured. I wasn't sure if I was going to go see Elton John, right? And so I don't know. I think there's that creativity and I think that's where we're all going to want to lean in in the next few years, really. So no question. No question. So let's, uh, let's get into uh, a rapid fire round. I'd like to all hear right. a little bit about Norm. As I mentioned at the top, Norm is a man of many sporting talents. He's a triathlete, marathon runner, swimmer. So the first question is, of the three things in a triathlon, what's your strength? Interestingly enough, when I was uh, young, it was cycling, and then it's become swimming. And most recently, I'd say my run is the strongest. I qualified for the Boston Marathon in a marathon in Montreal, Le Petit Saint Nord, just a couple weeks ago. So it's changed over time. Wow. So I'm pretty even though. I'm a true triathlete. Pretty even. True triathlete. Great, great. And so then of all the places, you was it nine triathlons? You've done nine Ironmans and 400 triathlons. Where was your favorite location? Nice, uh, France. So I did the world championships. My best world championships racing in my age group for Canada. I came 17th in Nice in 1997 in the Riviera. That was, and I did that race twice. Probably had my best day ever, but also because it was just this extraordinary place. So you must watch sports. Are you an NHL guy, NFL guy? What's your sport of poison? All of the above. I spend a huge fortune in streaming costs to watch everything like we had from the Olympic channel to all the big sports. And I'm a huge endurance sport fan. So I stream a lot of triathlons and swimming and when I go to the Olympics, I, as I mentioned, I've had a chance to go to five times with the Canadian team and twice with the Paralympics. I go to every event, everything I can possibly do. So I am a true sport fan. As I mentioned up front, I have this incredible good fortune of getting to work in what I love. It's been amazing. So of all the books that you've written, which one do you think is most accessible to an advertising audience? You said, you know, one of the books you reference is like, well, that's really for professors. Which book should we read? Well, I have 16. This is an easy question. I have 16, and the first 15 were textbooks. And this last one was my first attempt with Rick Burton at Syracuse at an industry audience. So I've only got one, and so far it's going incredibly well. I can't believe it. So the business, the NHL way, is the first, and it's gone well with the University of Toronto Press. It's doing exceptionally well. So I've only got one, because the others would all be very textbooky. So you might be interested, given what you do in some of the more deeply analytical ones, but for a professional reader, there's only one. All right. And where can we get the book? Well, University of Toronto Press, Amazon, Indigo, we did this selling it. It's all over the place. They're trying to get into airports. It's easy to find, not expensive. The one advantage too over industry books is they're like, they're very into 20 bucks or something versus your textbooks at a couple hundred, right? So it's also not expensive at all. Yeah. I remember, so I remember nice. 
going to the bookstore my first year. I'm like, how much were these books? My goodness. So that's good to know. Yeah, it is painful. Yeah. What's the album you're streaming right now when you're training for your next triathlon? I'm old school and I don't, if I've been doing this for 35 years, I don't, I use it as my relaxing time. But when I need to get motivated and pumped up, I'm an old fashioned metalhead. So I'll have like, you know, Motley Crue or Ozzy Osbourne or when I need to get pumped up. But when I go on train on my own, I never have music. It's my time. But if I'm racing or something, you'll see like some kickstart my heart or something like that. If, if you're old enough to remember that, to get me fired up. So, and then my family, I listen to when I'm downstairs, I listen to family Spotify's, whatever my kids like, which has turned out to be a lot of 80s music, which is quite interesting. So, yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's nice for you. I mean, I got Taylor Swift and K-pop in my house right now. So the odd Taylor Swift song, you know, okay, it but is yeah, it's... not too much. If you're trying to run fast, it's not the best choice, though. <laughs> Absolutely not. All right. So when's Sponsorship X and how can we get tickets? November 23rd. And if you're an industry person, yeah, SponsorshipX.com. It's easy to get to, easy to find. And there's certainly, we're more than happy to take registrations. And that's how you kind of get there. It's pretty easy. It's a three-day conference and you got to get to Montreal. I heard there's a party of sorts around the World Cup too. Is that what I heard? There is an integration with the World Cup. I'm actually going to the World Cup right after with my family and so there's an event around Canada's game that's going to happen built into the conference and Soccer Canada is part of it and the conference itself. So that'll be really fun. And we've done that before with different events. We're hopeful. I think a lot of Canadians are hopeful. This is finally the tipping point for soccer football in Canada. I mean, the women's team has done amazing stuff, you know, the London Olympics and stuff. But they, this is a chance. The Canadian team meant, made the World Cup but they actually have a chance to maybe win a game or two, which could be interesting. And so we're hopeful that's going to be a very exciting part of the conference. Well, fingers crossed. I mean, Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. buying that sports team in England probably helped the cause a little in Canada football. Well, and, I mean, team, and, so. and we talked earlier about participation. I mean, hockey's been flat or going, I mean, there's now one and a half million Canadian boys and girls who play registered soccer every year. I mean, the numbers just bode for itself. It was kind of just a matter of time before a high performance culture emerged, right? And now we're seeing that, which is great. Absolutely. Well, Norm, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure getting to know you and hearing a bit about your story and your insights. Everybody, thanks for your time listening to another great episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm Ted Lau, and we have Dr. Norm O'Reilly with us signing off. Thank you, Ted. This was great. Bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.